Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 75 of the podcast. It's the 7th of June, 2017, as I record this intro. In this episode, I'm excited to chat with Zakia Ismail. She's an unschooling mom of three kids, ages 10 to 19. Earlier this year, she hosted the first Learning Reimagined Family Conference in South Africa. She also shares her wonderful insights into the unschooling lifestyle on her website, growingminds.co.za. Our conversation spans from her journey to unschooling through the idea of de-schooling parents as immigrants in our children's native unschooling world to her thoughts around unschooling as a tool for decolonization. And there were lots of wonderful stops along the way. As a personal update, days are just skipping along here. Uh, the performance season is kicking into second gear, and Michael's only been getting one day off a week for the last few weeks, but he's still been coming home. Uh, Lissy and I are having a grand time planning her visit for later this month, and Joseph has been graciously brainstorming all things dystopian fiction with me most mornings this week, both world-building and plot. He is definitely a font of information and ideas. So life just continues to swirl, and I do my best to remember to appreciate all the moments, seemingly big and small. And a big thank you to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. I wanted to shout out to those who have been supporting the show since the beginning, as well as send a big welcome to new patrons Edgar Massoni and Linda Lind. I deeply appreciate all of my patrons. You guys inspire me to keep going. I love that you're helping me share unschooling information with anyone who wants to explore ways to live this wonderful lifestyle with their family. And if you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week's quote is from Zakia. They view their learning as they do their breathing. That is, they do not view it at all. That's from an article she wrote titled An Immigrant Deschooler in a Native Unschooler's World, and we discussed it in more depth in our conversation. But I wanted to pull it out again because she's nailed something here that I found so true, yet so unexpected. It's us parents who bring that lens of learning and overlay it onto our children's lives. And that's because our lens has been grounded and polished through years of schooling. Even when we choose to leave the school system, it's a challenge to drop that schoolishness. And from there, it's hard to drop the search for learning. It can take a while for us to clear our vision enough to see that learning is truly innate, as instinctual for our children as breathing, and often just as indescribable. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear more from Zakia. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca. And today I'm here with Zakia Ismail. Hi, Zakia. Hi, Pam. Hello. 
Uh, I have run into Zakia quite a few times online in unschooling-related circles and have always really enjoyed reading her observations and insights. Uh, she also recently hosted the first Learning Reimagined conference in South Africa. I'm super excited to chat with you. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and how you discovered unschooling? Okay. Um, so my family makes we five people, Hubby and I and my three kids. My eldest is 19, and then I've got a 17-year-old. Those are boys. And then I've got a 10-year-old daughter. How did we get to unschooling? Um, before we even had kids, we knew we're not going to do the school thing. We knew we're not going to do school even before we knew whether we were having kids or not. So that's how committed we were to not doing school. Wow. Uh, what what the, what we were going to do instead of school was something that we you know were trying to work out. Um, so we we thought we'd open up an alternative kind of school. What you know with what we thought would be useful. Um, thankfully, we didn't. It wouldn't have been a free democratic school in any way. Um, we, we, and, you know, so we, we explored quite a bit. Um, and and we realized that, okay, school's not going to, even alternative school wouldn't work because nobody was going to come to it at that point in time in South Africa. Um, so we, when the kids came along, we just sort of went along on our way we checked out preschools we didn't like them and you know every year we were more and more confident about not doing the school thing and the boys were 17 18 months apart and you know they played and they got along well and they were growing so beautifully and learning so much that I didn't really have a need to intervene so so technically we were unschooling. We just didn't know that there was a term like that mm-hmm. until, you know, and I think I felt quite isolated and um, my husband took to, you know, he embraces the principles of unschooling very naturally. It's it's a bit, it's quite a bit how he grew up, you know, directing his, himself uh, and his education. So for him, it was easy. I felt isolated. So I used to go online and look for support. And in those days, it was Yahoo groups, now it's Facebook. And I found homeschooling groups, which led me to unschooling. And I was like, oh, that's what we're doing. There's a name for it. <laughs> that is so cool. It's real, yeah. You know, um, to be able to come to the, like that you guys came to the ideas even before you had children, just you knew school wasn't, uh, going to be a, a good fit for you guys and for your lifestyle. That is, that is really interesting to me because, you know, I was so um, just immersed in that culture and had, didn't even, wasn't even a glimmer in my eye that, um, there were other ways. So I think that's really, really interesting to hear. I love, uh, those kinds of stories. Uh, I also love hearing what unschooling kids are up to. I was wondering what your children are interested in at the moment and how they're pursuing it. Okay. You know, the timing of the school is good because um, if we did this interview a few months ago, mm-hmm. I would say uh, my eldest, who's now 19, I think for a recently and especially last year, he was he's struggling with a lot of internal pressure and you know, some kind of angst about what is he going to do and how is he going to find a space that works for him. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, and the funny thing is, because he's a gamer, he plays a lot of online or one particular online game called Dota. And my advice to him was, you know, maybe uninstall it, take a break from it so you can get some time to figure yourself out. Thankfully, he never listens to me and didn't. Um, And then, you know, like about six weeks ago, he decided, you know, I love talking, talking all the time, socializing, meeting people, and I love gaming. And I'm going to find myself a space in this world, which is exactly what he's done. So now he is a um, he's he's building a profile as a caster. So in traditional sports, we would call it a commentator, mm-hmm. but in esports, it's a it's a caster. So he casts and streams local games. He did a few competitions, uh, tournaments, um, and he yeah, and he's got you know a website where he interviews players. So he's doing some kind of journalism as well, and he's really happy because he's you know he's those two things about him that were the strongest. That's what he's doing. Um. My 17-year-old, he is also a gamer, but he plays competitively. So he's in a professional team, and they compete locally, and they're working their way up to become, you know, um, uh, an international team. And he's working his way to become the best possible player he could be in that space. Um, My 10-year-old is... Also a gamer, but not competitively, very socially. So she has a huge network of online friends um, in all kinds of time zones. So she spends a lot of time being up for like 24 hours and then sleeping for like 16 hours. Very, um, very erratic, but it depends on who's online and who she's connected with to do things. So she plays Overwatch and Minecraft, and then she also collaborates on some fan fiction. She loves writing, so does a lot of writing, role-playing, um, anything that has a screen she likes, basically. I really enjoyed hearing how they're meshing their the things that they're finding interesting into um, the way that they engage with the world. That's really cool. I love how um, your, your daughter's uh, she's finding her connections and she's just going with them. Like you said, she'll stay up for hours and hours. Right. And then, and then she'll sleep for hours and hours. That's really interesting. Very, it's challenging for us, but Uh I mean, um, she's my, my really truly free child, mm-hmm. my fully unschooled child, because although we, you know, for me especially, I embraced the principles of unschooling when it came to like, uh, you know, academics. Yeah, I wasn't very. I couldn't let go of so many of my control issues in terms of sleeping and screen time, etc., with the boys. But when she came along, because she's only ten, you know, so like seven, I think seven years later, I'd figured a lot of those things out. So she's really free. And it's interesting to see like how different she is in how she processes the world and her own self-concept and how much she protects her autonomy. So if I overstep the lines with my boys, they're so used to it from the, our patterns of behavior when they were kids. They only, you know, they don't see it immediately or they they make space for me. But she is very. She says, you know, she just says, "Thanks, but I have my own thoughts." Or <laughs> I I don't want to do that and I you know she's really firm and 
she's immune to sort of what the societal norms are about sleeping and being awake and that. So she just really goes with her body and her rhythm. I love that. And that's such a great point, too, because, you know, because we came to it um, a bit later when my kids, my older two anyway, were older. My youngest only had just a few months in, of junior kindergarten. And I love the way you said, you know, your your older ones are more used to it and they'll make some space for you. Yet your youngest is so free that she's she's really comfortable just being herself right and and pointing that out because I noticed that as well that is so cool <laughs> okay that's, yeah that, I think that is the um, um that is sort of the one of the foundations is you need like start as early as possible because then you really embrace your own autonomy and freedom and and it's an indication of just how hard so they just had a couple of years of my control and just how hard it is for them to also unshackle themselves from those control issues, which, you know, I mean, that's why I think we need to be sympathetic with ourselves as adults because we've had like 30 years of it before we said, okay, let's yeah. get out of that. Yeah. So, yeah, it is interesting. And I think that's why, I, I mean, I know for for myself, you know, my my kids, my youngest will soon be, be 20 next month or this month when wow. the, this episode's out. And I'm still learning. I'm still discovering wow. those pieces that um, are, are still buried deep in there, right? Even just for my own growth now, right? But I'm I'm still finding those pieces because there's just uh, so much more of them for us, right? And I know my uh, my kids are still discovering pieces. Um, even I really like that idea of of more free, you know, I'm trying to think between, you know, my youngest and my two, my elder kids, um, because, you know, they still get some conventional messages, but I think the, the less they've had on them, um, they've got that really strong free core that, uh, really helps them deflect those messages more quickly, I think, than those of us who've absorbed them for so much longer, right? Yes, exactly. They need that deflector. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's very cool. Uh, you wrote a really amazing essay called uh, An Immigrant Deschooler in a Native Unschooler's World. And in it, you nailed something that I had noticed but hadn't yet been able to articulate about how um, unschooling children do not look at their lives through the lens of learning. Like I've made comments here and there, but to, you really brought it all together. You wrote, they view their learning as they do their breathing. That is, they do not view it at all. So I was hoping you could share your perspective on unschooling natives, immigrants, and settlers. That's so cool. Okay. So, you know, I mean, just as we were talking earlier, that we come with all this programming, with this baggage, with our personal histories, you know, which are informed by our families, our cultures, the movies we watched, etc. And, you know, so that's a lens with which we see the world, and we can't escape it. Um, I mean, you can, we can try, we, we can work to improvement, but there's neural networks within our brains that are, that are there, that will always be there, that we could always um, work towards um, building new networks, new neural networks, but that, that is the lens. And our lens comes from schooling, so how we did in school, 
um, is what gave us social currency, what was our prognosis for how successful we'd be in the future, etc. And we also, you know, uh, associate school with learning when they actually have very little to do with each other. So when we drop the schoolishness, um, I like that word. I learned that from Akila Richards at the Unschooling Liberation event we held in Joburg recently. Mm-hmm. When we drop the schoolishness, we still hang on to that learning like that's a value that we hold very, very high. And so I think so much of our how we view the world and, and what the, what we do, what the kids do, etc., is what the learning value is in so many things. Um, and in their world, which for them, they don't have the, that lens. They're growing up freely and, you know, embodying their, uh, what's, what makes them feel alive and passionate about it. So um, in their worlds of freedom, we definitely are like immigrants. We carry our accent and our way of processing what's happening, some of it with fascination, some of it with uh, indignation. Um, but they're the natives of this world because they're born into it. It's natural for them to just love, um, to not focus so much on living and not focus on who they're going to be in the future when they focus on who they are today. And um, and then the settlers, I think, are when you know, I look at so many families that are struggling with trying to get their kids to conform to some kind of idea of what parents think their kids should be. And I see so much of, you know, extinguishing of the child's nature if it's if they're not sporty enough to be more academic or the other way around, etc. And it just reminds me of, because I live in South Africa and we've got this very interesting history, 20 years into a democracy, you know, that kind of thing, where there's also been a lot of cultural silencing of traditional African culture. I look at that and I and I and it reminds me of when settlers arrived to other lands and imposed they didn't bother to learn what the the lay of the land was and they just imposed their ways um, on the people and the land and I it, you know it reminds me that kind of parenting model I think reminds me of the broader political social context that we find ourselves in and I think that that parenting model. And that political model, I think, are related in many ways in terms of the power dynamic that comes from the two. I think that's a. I was really fascinated when you talked about that because you can you can really see the the foundational power dynamic that runs underneath both of them, can't you? Parenting yeah. and politics, and and it had me thinking too. Um, you know when. When we're migrating, you know, as as um, parents coming to unschooling, right? And I know when in my writing and stuff, I kind of use learning as that transitional lens. You know, first mm-hmm. we're all typically looking for for teaching, for schooling, right? That's whole schoolish um, kind of mindset, and then and then to try and transition because learning is part of that equation. We're just dropping the assumption that um, teaching means learning, right? And then, okay, start looking for the learning everywhere. Mm. But then it's such a great point that, um, that the next step is, you know what, eventually you 
don't need to look for the learning anymore. You know, once you start to see that it's ubiquitous, that it's everywhere, that it's in everything, it is still an important next step to to stop looking or or needing to see the learning. And I it reminded me so much of of some conversations where, you know, if my kids were um feeling down about something or whatever and I would try to point out I'd point out the learning because that is something that 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 like you said we value as an accomplishment right rather than breathing as you were saying and and when I would try to say oh but you know you learned x y and z and and look how much you know compared to you know other people interested and everything and they would look at me like you know oh you I grew a second head or something it's like you know that that doesn't matter at all you know it's not impressive that's just that's just what I do that's just my days and and that need to even to compare to other people is is completely gone so I I always found that fascinating the few times I would find myself in that conversation with my kids and their reaction was completely different from, you know, someone with my lens, my perspective would be. So I really enjoyed how uh, you brought that out in that article. (laughs) Thank you. And that leads really nicely into the next question, because I really want to chat about the idea of a successful unschooler. I read a comment that you wrote on Facebook on the topic, and it reminded me of something that I've talked about before, that unschooling isn't about just being a different path to raising a conventionally successful adult. And you mentioned uh, the inevitable question of access to higher education and employability that is so often asked by people who are first curious about unschooling. And that's understandable, right? Because that's our lens that we're coming to it with. And we have we have such a tight grip on that conventional definition of success. But if we hold on to that for too long, it can really get in the way of our unschooling uh, journey, for lack of a better word, can't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think that's one of the worst things to focus on is how or not clarify in your mind what successful unschooling looks like or what a successful person looks like. And I think the measurements for what unschooling looks like, and, you know, I mean, I also get that pressure. So from other, you know, people wanting to see what the kids are doing, not out of interest, but as a way of measuring um, how the unschooling is working. And there's a difference. Um, So we do tend to think about how we can unschool and then still meet certain uh, measurement criteria like get them into university or they're getting into university, etc. And um, and we also somehow there's so much social currency attached to um, university degrees, even though so much of research is coming out or the evidence at least showing that corporates don't like graduates so much anymore because they find them not being able to critically think and look to, you know, follow orders rather than take initiative. There's so much on that. And then people still feel like, yeah, but you know, if you just get that degree and I'm like, okay, is that social currency that we're talking about instead of employability? So there's those two things. One is everybody wants to be able to make their way in their world and, you know, earn money, et cetera. Um, but it, it shouldn't be the overriding thing. It, you only, I think you're only really being successful if what you're doing is meaningful to you and it's authentic 
and you're not being forced into it by social norms or even the economy. So I think for me, what successful unschooling looks like and which, you know, uh, overlaps into what a successful person that has unschooled looks like is one where we let this process help help us find ourselves and find our spaces and do what's meaningful to us. And we're able to be independent in that space that we found so that we're not um, needing, you know, financial support eventually from parents or the state or anything. And I think that the meaningful, authentic part is, for me, the defining criteria rather than how much you're going to earn or what social currency you're going to get out of that. Yeah, that that's what it really boiled down uh, for me as well to finding, as you mentioned, yourself and, and what's meaningful to you is so much more important. It's, you know, because sometimes if I when I share what my kids are up to, I do it with a little bit of trepidation because it can look sometimes like conventional success. And, um, you know, people who are looking at it through a newer lens will see that conventional success and say, oh, look, path, ABC, unschooling, um, here we go. It looks conventionally successful. Yet, even the way that they're approaching it um, is very different, right? It's because that happens to be something that was very meaningful for them. And so they chose it. It was something they wanted to do. They didn't choose it because it looked good. They chose it because it had meaning um, for them. And but that's not something you can you can really say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when you just say, oh, my kids are doing, you know, because you're introducing. What are your kids doing? They finished unschooling. And and you say, well, this, this and this. And and they go, wow, that's great. I want, you know, that kind of success or at least for that um, possibility to be there because they're still holding on to that as a goal. Um, but it's so different from the inside, right? From, from them making those choices just because they're meaningful to them. And, you know, um, knowing that they can choose to step out of it too. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's another big one. That's just that they, they, um, out of, they out of choice and that they could leave out of choice is a very different thing from, I have to do this. Absolutely. Yeah, from feeling like, okay, I've I've made this career choice and now, you know, I'm kind of stuck here. They don't feel that stuckness. Um, I don't, you know, I'm sure they will ponder the question, um, but they'll be pondering it from their own, from what's meaningful to them, if it's still meaningful, um, what other areas they might like to explore, rather than the question that, oh, I've had this success, I can't, like, give it up because I, um, I'm worried about how I look from the outside. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Absolutely. Um, earlier this year, you hosted the first Learning Reimagined conference in South Africa, and I would love to hear how it went and was hoping maybe you could share something that you learned or a new insight that was sparked for you from the weekend. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was the first of its kind. So we were quite, uh, excited about getting everybody that we've only known online and you know just gathering and exploring these ideas as a group and 
creating sort of showcasing kind of temporary learning community. And I must say it really was an amazing weekend. Um, I think our I'd, I'd been to two unschooling conferences um, in the U.S. before. Um, and I I looked at those and my partner, Claire, looked at the, um, or had attended the home education festival in the UK that they hold every year. And we both took what we liked and then we created our own very African one. And um, it was, you know, the, so we expected, you know, we had a number in mind of what we think we would get. And we got more than double that amount of people wanting to attend wow. to the wow. point of that we had to close registrations in that last week because it was just, it was full. So that was an insight that was new for me. I really didn't realize just how much of an interest there is in looking at alternatives. Um, and then the second thing I thought was interesting is we had a list of kind of things that we would discuss in the open sessions if we need to, um, if we need to. And I, what, the, what I found was that so many of the attendees had moved past those points. So they weren't talking so much in detail about, okay, how do we get the learning to read or how do we, you know, the kind of new, new questions new unschoolers ask. And they were all very new also, or a lot of them were. But the questions were really the larger macro issues which got me excited, like, okay, how does this impact uh, what kind of society we then have if we have a world where not everybody has to go to school? What does that mean? How does it, what, what kind of implications are there for the economy? We're not all going the tried and tested path of uh, school, university, degrees, corporate. You know, all like really rich discussions about reimagining the world and reimagining community, really. So that was really, you know, that was awesome. I think we, our speakers also, we had Manish Jain from India, and they, India, the word unschooling is not as popular, but it's what, they, you know, it's it's that's how it looks. Um, but they quite, I think, moved on a lot more than we have in the sense that they've really worked towards building learning communities. And... Um, and that's something that interests me here about building a, sort of a collaborative learning community. So not just a community, and you see the learning thing. I can't get away from that lens, eh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but not just, you know, let's get together and go ice skating kind of thing, but how do we learn together, pull our resources and share our skills and grow this community and, and, the, and the people around us so that we can we we increase and maximize the, the options available for us to create the kind of space we we want to live in that's you know meaningful and authentic. So um, that was nice that we had this discussion that we could have some of those discussions at the conference. Yeah, I really uh, even even in your title, I think with reimagined, right? Learning reimagined. May, Maybe that was um, part of the reason that sounds like you guys had some really, really rich discussions. And I I do really like the idea of, you know, um, if we're replacing school with something, um, 
the those kinds of of learning communities it's it's kind of what you um i always kind of imagine maybe something around libraries just a place where people can um go to connect because certainly here in north america it's um just the way the community is is built that congregation area really is for for kids is is school and the school building right yet they they don't have within the constraints of classroom, et cetera, they don't really have time to connect. They're, you know, they're discouraged from socially connecting with each other anyway. Um, so I really love the discussions uh, around the ideas of, of where we can um, encourage or facilitate those kinds of connections between people who are choosing not to go to school. So I think that's really fascinating because, I mean, I know um, when we first began unschooling, uh, there really weren't, we, we would travel to the States for conferences to meet other people because there were so few of us uh, locally, geographically, and um, most of their connection, as you and I have found, certainly at the beginning, was was online, right? So yeah. it's really great that you're starting that you're facilitating and you found such a great reception to the idea of um, getting together and just talking about those kinds of ideas. So that was awesome. Yeah. You know, um, one of the, I mean, although I'm a long time unschooler, we didn't really make it so much of an unschooling conference. I think we put out a lot of the flow of the talks, etc. was just to um, highlight a lot of issues and ask and let people ask their own questions and then leave with their own questions, with their own answers and to leave with the way that they're more comfortable in, you know, feel more confident about creating a path that works for them as families. Um, as opposed to just saying, well, the unschooling works, let's just do it. And we're going to show you how we just, we just kept the unschooling out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the people that were considering it who saw how, you know, saw this whole interaction between adults, children, free play, uh, took, you know, took more to the unschooling then. So I think we showed more than rather rather than tell. And I think that was what was so powerful about it. Mm-hmm. Also, um, like you say, traveling, you know, I think it's really important for people to get together, even though that online community is so great. There's, there's something that you need to do regularly, just be in the space with other people who get what you do and how you parent and how you educate. And I, it's fundamental. It gives you a kind of energy that you can't get online. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's very, it's just refreshing and inspiring, isn't it? I mean, I know I would come away from those conferences just um, well, refreshed and inspired, right? <laughs> yes, yes, energized. Energized, yeah, exactly. Um, it is just so nice to just to because you get to see the interactions versus like like you were saying, you know, you can read about um, those interactions from parents sharing online, etc. But but when you see them in action, there it's it's a visceral experience that's that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um. And speaking of, since you were you were gathering people in South Africa, I was wondering if you could share with us a quick overview of what it is like to unschool there, and you know what are the legalities you guys are dealing with, and um, 
that you said you're actively building a community there. I think you have a space there now. You mentioned having Aquila um, recently. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that too. Okay. Okay. So I think from when I started, when I was the only unschooler I knew, I think now we've really grown as a community of unschoolers. There's lots of unschoolers. And I mean, when I say lots, I'm still talking about like under 1%. I mean, you know what I mean, right? We yeah, yeah. <laughs> right on the edge about to fall off. Um, but they are. So Johannesburg, where I'm located, there's a beautiful community. You know, it's actually, to be honest, it's it's quite big in the sense that, you know, there's almost like more than one unschooling community. So there's different it's big enough to have its own little subgroup. So the people with younger kids get together separately often, or people, there's just some groups that just hang together that don't necessarily join the other groups. But that's, it's big enough to have more than one group. And then there's um, Cape Town um, and Durban, I know, also has quite a few communities or families. So there's enough to have maybe park gatherings or um, you know, enough enough to have socials, let's put mm-hmm. it that way, but mm-hmm. not big enough to do something significant like build a learning co-op or something like that. That's I think we're not very far from that. And then what we we also have unschoolers camp in uh, November every year, and this year I think is year seven, and that grew. That's been growing from five families to. I think last year was about 20 families, um, which is from across the country. And it's kind of far out for everybody. So it's really only accessible to people who can afford to travel or have their camping gear, etc. cetera. Um, and yet that's growing beautifully. So that's our highlight of the year where as we get together as a huge, diverse community to the point where other campers come and ask, so what are you people? Because there's all these... <laughs> Mixed ages, mixed races, mixed race couples, and you all mixed and playing. And, you know, there's just, who are you guys? <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> um, so that's our highlight. And then, um, yeah, so in jo- so Akila was around recently. And so I decided, I asked her if she's open to, you know, doing an event. And so we had a discussion on unschooling, liberation and learning. And I mean, there were like, it was a Tuesday morning and there were like about 20 people, which isn't huge, but I think it was quite, it was big enough. Like there were at least 60 people that could have been there, but who had to be other places. So it's big enough to have these kinds of things. Um, and it was great that other people then, this, this event was great other than the content, which is awesome, but there were lots of new people who, didn't know each other and that we also lots of people hadn't met. So it was great that we just built this community physically that we all got to meet each other. And the venue is um, called the Reimagined Learning Center. And I don't know if there's a relationship, but that's what their name is. Is um, also It's sort of a new sort of democratic free, no, I don't know democratic, but maybe self-directed free school. And it's sort of, it's like, you know, a really magical setting with like meandering pathways and tall trees. And so that was 
it felt like this is our a space that this community could congregate to. So I'm really excited about that possibility. But as a, I, 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 I do put in a lot of effort into trying to build a community here and really for very selfish reasons is I, I like the company. I don't want to be alone and I like having to sit with, you know, a couple of parents and we're not talking about why, how our children are not doing this or not performing, but we're celebrating who they are. I love having that opportunity to do it. So for me, that community is really about helping us, building this community is about helping us find more people to hang with, really. It's so nice to have those easygoing conversations, isn't it? Where people aren't complaining, but they're just celebrating their kids. It's a whole different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just so nice. It's like, uh, I don't know how kids feel about their parents talking about them about how they're not performing. I mm -hmm. I feel really uncomfortable in those situations. And then I just usually stay quiet because I don't want to get into any mommy wars or anything. Um, so those these these the community I'm trying to build or trying to find for myself, um, I think it's just so fundamental. It's what keeps me sane and happy and uh, also gives us a sense of comfort, not only me, but everybody else. When we all get together and we, we talk, I think we all leave feeling a lot more, lot more confident about that it's okay that we're doing this part that nobody else understands. It's okay, you know, we we, we, we good. So I think that's, that's just that in itself is a good enough reason to build a community. Yeah, no, and that that was kind of part of the... Motivation when I started up a conference here in Canada too for uh, that ran for a few years, and that it it really does help build that. It's like that sense of community. Um, and you know, we were talking earlier about how you know, you feel refreshed and energized, and it's that energy that you can take with you um, for for the for your other days, right? Where you don't have that immediate quick content contact but it, it's it's an energy or a lightness or that you know that you can just bring with you and energizes your more regular days I think yeah absolutely yeah. definitely um, you wrote an article for the most recent edition of families learning together magazine about your family's extended trip to India and in it, you mentioned a moment that you were proud of during your visit to the uh, Taj Mahal. And I was hoping you could share that story with us. Sure. So, you know, that it, that that's why I'm still a de-schooling immigrant, is we were at the Taj Mahal. And this is such a momentous occasion and, you know, something must, on everybody's must-see list. And... When we got there, my daughter looked at it for a few minutes, thought it's a really beautiful building, and then she was really totally bored with the history of it. I mean, she couldn't understand or didn't well, had little interest in it. So out came her phone, and she was playing Pokemon Go. And I was not very comfortable with that. I mean, I just thought this is the Taj Mahal. Like, why would you play Pokemon Go when you're at the Taj Mahal? And, you know, my son also, he was like, Mom, really, we need to do something about her. And, you know, so there was all this discomfort. So now, you know, I was doing what she was doing. She was focusing on Pokemon Go and I was focusing on her playing it. Neither of us were focused on the Taj Mahal. <laughs> and 
I wanted to, you know, so I went to sort of have a word with her and I just, she looked up from her phone, like really excited. I think she caught something very cool. And I looked at her face. Oh, and I just, I realized she's having a blast. She's playing Pokemon at the Taj Mahal. I mean, how many people can do that? And I'm so glad I had that insight and I saw her face and I looked at her and I was like, okay, that's awesome. You know, let's, I'll, I'll walk with you. And because I, what I was going to do is, you know, have a word with her about how we experience these places through my lens of how we should learn about the world. And I'm so glad I didn't. And I, I let her. And I was really proud of myself that I could let it go, that I could then enjoy the, not only, I, so I enjoyed the Taj Mahal, but I also enjoyed how much fun she was having playing Pokemon Go there which I wouldn't have done a few years ago. So I was quite proud to see my own growth there. Yeah, I thought I thought that was awesome. And that's why I wanted you to share it. Because, I mean, first, your point that because you were focused on her, you weren't enjoying the experience either, right? Um, so neither one of you were, well, if you had uh, talked to her. Anyway, what what that was a great point. But the next, the growth that comes out of that is realizing that our lens, the way we define enjoying something, um, doesn't need to be their lens, right? They have their way that they enjoy things. And even for us to decide that this is something that they should enjoy, that should be important to them. I know. That was, right? I'm so disturbed that, that I still have those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, I know. <laughs> and it was fun, like a few months ago, I think I've mentioned this once before on the podcast, um, when I was speaking to my, my eldest, we were talking about, um, you know, trips and traveling and things like that. And he could still remember and point out like the games that he was playing in those moments. Oh. Um, and for him, he's like, oh, I remember when we went to Disney, um, I was I was playing this game and I was at this part and it was awesome. And then, you know, when we were at the beach here, I was I was playing this particular game. He was taking in all those moments, but they were becoming so meaningful. Like he remembers that trip to Disney. He remembers that trip to the beach at Cancun. He remembers all what he doesn't remember is us fighting about it. Right. Oh, you so, lucky there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not a negative experience. And he remembers them. He remembers them through his lens, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I thought that's just such a beautiful point for us not to put our lenses and um, the way we want to experience things onto them. It's okay the way we want to experience and we can dive into that. But also it's just so exciting to be able to support them the way they're enjoying the experience too, you know? So yeah. I thought that was a wonderful insight you had. <laughs> yeah, the learning never stops. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, life. <laughs> uh, you have also created a Facebook group called Unschooling as a Tool for Decolonization. And I was hoping you could explain what you mean by that and how unschooling can be that powerful option when we're exploring decolonizing education. Okay. So, the, you know, decolonizing education is a really huge topic of discussion amongst everybody in South Africa. Um, we've had so much of uh, 
student protests, etc., around that issue. Um, for me, I think it, we'd, uh, we'd started this discussion bef- earlier because um, I think for me, how we learn that we focus on text and reading and writing, that to me is a very colonial thing as well. Or I just later discovered how colonial it is. I mean, I was also really concerned primarily about whether my son could read and whether they liked books and they liked reading. And that actually, that's one way of learning and one way of interacting with the world or in a way of interacting with other people's imaginations. But it's just one way, and that's something that we don't, I don't, that's, that comes from a very, our colonial education, is that there's so many other ways of knowing, so many ways of being, so many, and then there's so many stories. So we've prioritized, you know, one small subset of knowledge, which really speaks to a very capitalist kind of power. As a and 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 in the meantime, other way, other knowledge systems, indigenous knowledge systems, the diversity that comes with the cultural knowledge of of communities is dying because of our emphasis on schooling. And um, why I think unschooling itself is is a, a potentially powerful tool for decolonization is that. Because it also can't be, can you can also not use it. I mean, there's lots of unschoolers that come onto the group worried that their children don't like reading and, you know, and look for ways to help them to do that. So as, as, an, as an unschooler, we could also say, okay, all knowledge is fair game. Let's not prioritize only Western knowledge. Let's not prioritize only knowing from reading, um, whereas... You know, if if for you, if dance is the way you want to express yourself, then that's how you do it. And if you and storytelling is, um, you know, it's a big part of African culture and Indian culture. I later discovered, or on my trip I discovered. So why don't we um, allow those those kinds of activities to come into our world if our children like it, if we like it? Nothing to be imposed on. But they, this, we're not privileging some ways of knowing some bits of information over others. So when we talk about the freedom then to choose, the the freedom to choose the the what's the word I'm looking for? What the options we can choose from is all options. So not just looking at you know one version of history, but looking at all the kinds of histories that could be there. Um, asking questions like why is the history uh, when we talk about the history of, let's say, Germany and, and, and the Holocaust, why is there no mention of the social movements that actually opposed it? I mean, we've silenced what people's struggles were. In, in India as well, you know, going to all the castles, we heard about the kings and what they did, etc. But there's no history of how did the people relate to it. And so we can ask, so we can say, well, to us as unschoolers, history is about all the social movements and how people related to events around them. And we're really not interested in, um, or we're not going to focus or prioritize what the leadership was doing. So we can, you know, we can reclaim how we want to understand the world and we can take it away from colonial power and create, I mean, we can't go back to what there was because we've disconnected from it, but we can create something that's new and meaningful and something that's for a better world. And I think that's the important thing is that 
that in everything we do, it has to look like we're working towards a better world. Yeah, I really, really love that perspective on it. And and the idea that we can um, not just revisit, you know, our assumptions about learning, et cetera, but our really deeply held um, assumptions and, and, you know, and the more superficial things that, that we've learned, like deeply held assumptions about how human beings can be in community with each other. And as you say, the, the social movements and, and how we relate to one another, but, you know, on that deeper level than just kind of our day to day, because we are so caught up in that day to day, um, engagement, but unschooling really does allow us to step back and, and look deeper at it, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a bl- it, that's the blank slate. Say, okay, what is it? What do you want to do? What do you want to know? What, what kind of a world yeah. do you want to live? Yeah, we can explore all that. It's a deeper, deeper blank slate. And I loved um, when you mentioned the lens of reading and writing as being, you know, the one way to, or, or the best way, quote, to yeah. learn things and to um, communicate between people. Um, because, you know, we talk about how, you know, people, kids are going to learn that because it's so prevalent in our society. But yeah. I super appreciated, um, you know, certainly with Michael, my youngest, because when he left school, he wasn't reading at all. And, and in junior kindergarten, they hadn't really started that a lot. Um and I got to see for the, you know, the next eight years or whatever, um, I don't know, was he 10, 11-ish when he was uh, reading fluently? I, I mean, that's another thing. They, they define reading as it looks in the real world, right? As in, to them, reading is, you know, picking up. Uh, Harry Potter book and, and reading it through. It's not, you know, yeah. I'm reading because I'm doing early readers. There, there isn't that world. Um, but to see his mind at work and how that not ha- yet having that um, fluent reading skill did not get in his way at all. I, I got to see so many different ways of learning things and sharing things and communicating things. It wasn't a hindrance in his life at all. And that was, that was a really interesting thing for me to see. Yeah, that is interesting. It's um, like, it's actually amazing how much they can do without being able to read or read fluently how they figure things out, use other patterns of knowing. I mean, I, I saw this with my daughter as well. She was about five when she said, you know, I don't think I'm going to learn how to read. I don't want to. And I just said, you know, there's four other readers here, so you're welcome to ask us if you need us. And, you know, with, if my elders had said that, I would have said, oh, this unschooling doesn't work. But with <laughs> her, I, I knew that there's no way she can avoid the reading. It's going to come to her whether she wants <laughs> And it did. She doesn't. Re- she doesn't like reading for fun. She, I mean, she said to me, "Oh, I'd read if I tried reading to her after the second paragraph." She'd say, "You know, Mum, I'd really prefer my own imagination." So, mm. what does that say? No, this guy's imagination is better because a publisher, you know, uh, published it. So I left it, and I was. It was really a good thing to leave because now she just writes very deeply, very imaginatively. 
Um, so a lot of her her expression comes from writing rather than reading. Um, and she says she'd wish she could do art, but she just she she says I've accepted I'm not good at it, so I'm going to move on. And no judgment. She's just accepted. This is who I am. Defined it, and I was grateful that I had managed to let go of my beliefs and not worry about that she has to read and has to enjoy it and that's the only way to explore the world etc yeah so that's how I see how we decolonize ourselves because we just chip away at all those little things challenge all those little assumptions that we hold dear and um, and once we challenge all those things that's when that opens up the space for us to look at new ways of doing it yeah, that that's a beautiful way to to look at it in in the bigger picture too. There's just so much that we can release and that we continue to notice that we can release, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Zakia. It was so much fun. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, it was. It was I wonderful. Yeah, and I appreciate you reaching out and wanting to chat to me as well. Oh, that's awesome. And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Um, Facebook, Zakia Ismail. Um, my website is growingminds.co.za. And um, where else? I think those two, hey? Yeah. Great. I will put links to those in the show notes. And thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you, Pam. Okay, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the first book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Learn, Five Ideas for a Joyful Unschooling Life. In it, I share the five paradigm-changing ideas that most help me better understand unschooling. Reviewers have said, a quick read, but packed with ideas that challenge the dominant paradigm of our failing approach to learning, this little gem makes an excellent argument for unschooling. And, I was rather doubtful about this book, as I had never heard of the author, but after reading it, I wish that I had read it years ago. I hope you find it helpful too. Free to Learn has also been translated into French and Spanish. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.